Hi everyone and welcome to the Monkey Seat. We're back again to bring you all of the news and rumours surrounding all motorsport as we guide you through the pandemic and back to real life. My name is Tom. And I'm Carl and we come together to entertain you with our weekly podcast whilst back again separated by the Irish Sea. Yep, no win this week. Well, certainly not in the outside area anyway. This podcast is produced by Mind Productions and presented by two opinionated friends who like to put the world to rights. Feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at MonkeySeatPod. Or you can email us at MonkeySeatPodcast at gmail.com. And now you can find us at www.MonkeySeatPod.com. Ooh, here we go. Hello. How you doing, everyone? Everyone out there. And how are you, Carl? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, another day, another day of blazing hot sun. Ireland feels like Italy at the moment. I feel like I'm in Monza. Yeah, well, um, England's much the same. It's supposed to be raining today, but it's still red hot. Um, spending a lot of time outdoors, getting a massive t-shirt tan. Um, <laughs> yeah, my um, my wife decided to try and make me go topless so I wouldn't get a t-shirt tan. Uh, that lasted for about five minutes. Are you married, Carl? I'm married. Have you got kids, Carl? Married. Yeah. Married with oh, kids. Okay. Yeah. Two of the little blighters. <laughs> I just you never mention it, so you know. It's... Do I not? No. Uh, they probably haven't mentioned it too much on this <laughs> podcast. Actually, no, probably not on this podcast, no. Anyway, should we talk about motorsport? Yes, but let's yeah. talk about next... Well, I was going to say next week, but Let's not talk about podcast. next week. Yeah, it's it's a bumper week. It's a two-podcast week. We're going to be recording another podcast, which is going to be airing um, hopefully around Friday, uh, which is our, our IndyCar preview podcast. And that's Friday the 5th of june yes yes this should be out um, tuesday night we're recording it tuesday afternoon should be out tuesday evening hopefully so by friday i'm hoping it will be out and there's something very exciting about that podcast isn't there yeah we're gonna have a indycar driver where we hope anyway yeah we're gonna have um, a special guest who it is yet. huh yeah we're gonna have a special guest we'll um yeah we'll name it at the end we'll we'll keep you all in suspense because i know you're all itching to know who it is um, this will be the first time we've ever done an interview together, so yeah. I do apologise for that driver already before we've even started, before we've named it. Um, but yeah, it'll be really exciting. It'll be nice to speak about IndyCar. So this week we're not going to really talk about IndyCar, no, um, because we're going to talk about it constantly on the second episode. Yeah, um, given that it's the start of the new season, the curtailed season is starting. Uh, this weekend, so we want to get the IndyCar preview out before the start of the season, obviously. Um, put out an appeal on the website and on various internet channels for um, IndyCar experts to get in touch, to come on the show. And yeah, I never expected to get an actual driver, so that is, uh, that's fantastic. So really, really looking forward to that. Well done, Tom. I, just so everyone's really aware, Tom is the brains behind this operation. I literally just turn up and start chatting. Tom has done very well on this. No, no, you're, you're the geek of the operation. No, I'm the geek of the operation, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm the geek of the operation and you're the uh, you're, you're the mouth, should we say. The, the mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah. You're the trumpet. Not, not too much, <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that talks bollocks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm very proud of you for organising all that. Tom produces this more than I ever produce it. I literally turn up and read what's put in front of me and do what I'm said. So well done, Tom. Oh, well done on that one. Right, shall we actually talk? I'm bored of talking about IndyCar because I've got a whole couple of hours of it. And... <laughs> what the heck was that? Right. Well, 
if uh, that's the pad gone, you can tell you can tell this is this is this is live. Um, I'm seeing Carl on a little window on his uh, on on my laptop screen, and just saw this blue thing sitting behind him. Just all of a sudden, started creaking backwards very slowly. Big crash. Don't know if you picked up on the microphones or not, but yeah, there's now a big mess. He's got to tidy yeah, up as soon as we finish recording. <laughs> Kids' toys—that's the problem. Have I right. mentioned I've got kids? That's the one. Oh, are you married as um, well? I'm married. Okay. Married. Married with kids. Okay. Two of the little shits. All right. Um, I'm nearly married, married, married with cats. Married with cats. They're just as painful, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I've got a cat and a dog. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk about money then. Uh, the depressing thing that makes the world go round. Um, we've got, which we've got none of. Um. Which we've got none of due to yeah. Corona. Two big teams in the news, Williams and <laughs> McLaren. Anyone else yeah, Williams and McLaren both in the news about their finances. So um should we start with Williams? Yeah, so I picked up a, a little article that says that um Rocket, who sponsored who uh, title sponsor of Williams, have parted ways um as their title sponsors. Rocket being a telephone communications company they do 3d phones and things uh, very cheap phones very apparently cool. as well yeah so cheap. well 100 and 249 for a 3d phone that 249 pound for a 3d phone that's scandalous that's yeah. that's um, oh by the way um rocket if you're looking for someone else to sponsor uh we are more than happy <laughs> to take uh take options i know you want to stay in motorsport so uh this is a motorsport podcast we cover all avenues so please come and sponsor us instead we will not ceremonially unceremoniously dump you like williams did we're, i'm gonna tag I, I put this on linkedin I've, I've got my own personal linkedin page which is the only social media i personally use um and i'm gonna tag rocket into this next time do it um and and go sponsor us rocket yeah. um but uh talking about um uh, rocket and uh, william i mean so that rocket have now left Yes, it's um, Williams have actually terminated the deal themselves, and they have. They've done it. I thought it was Rocket. No, no, this is this is a thing. Hasn't paid. So no, no, it's not. It's not. Um, Rocket have um, are involved in lots of other types of sponsorship, and they only signed a five-year deal last year with Williams to be the title sponsor. And they were Williams were very enthusiastic about this deal and saying how it was a big deal for Williams and. And everything, and and given how things have changed um, over the with the landscape over the last year, it's it's become a deal that's not what Williams want now. So they've terminated it with immediate effect, which means it's not even going to be on the car this year. Which I was really shocked to hear about, but it is with immediate effect. And it seems that they've they've also put that they are um, looking for new investment in the team, and um, they are not opposed to a complete and total buyout which is huge news because Williams have always been dead against this. Um, they are the last remaining true privateer outfit. And for, for them to be selling up is is really huge. I mean, given that they're desperate for money and they have just ended a title sponsor, which was guaranteed for five years, which means they would have had to pay money to get out of that deal. That tells me they've got something lined up already. I can't okay. see how they would have broken this agreement without having something lined up already. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Sorry, I did think that I, from the article that I wrote, I read that I thought that uh, Rocket hadn't paid Williams something like a couple of million. Um, when I say a couple of million, it'd be more than that. But 
you know, to an amount, 100 million, I think it was. I think it was that much. Well, it was a five-year sponsorship deal, which is which is worth a lot. Um, but I was um, I was listening to um, to another podcast. Um, not the one you think it is, a different one, um, right. and uh, the one with the person with the annoying voice. Um, oh God! And and they that person had an executive from another, a uh, from a uh, ex Formula One team as a guest. Anyone mm-hmm. who also listens to other um, motorsport podcasts might know which one I'm talking about. But this particular person had a bit of an inside knowledge. Just the of, annoying voice. Yeah. Just this person had a bit of an inside knowledge to the um, to the workings of sponsorship deals and said that the the Williams Martini deal was really bad deal for Williams and it was more to do with like trying to get the Martini name back in Formula One and it was it was worth a fraction of what it could have been so I think really Williams have just been running the business really badly over the last kind of five well, six the years problem is, is it's Frank Williams who's bless him has gone slightly senile and in is the chief captain and his daughter Claire Williams um she's you know she's just been handed it and although it's been in the family and she knows all about it I do wonder if she would go into any other firm whether she'd be able to run it or is it purely history well she was a press officer for williams for years um yeah. she was um <laughs> interesting i but was she's always been in williams it's yeah. not like she's come from you know sainsbury's or you know some sort of or even another motorsport or another car firm. i'm go just on. i'm just gonna go off into a little bit of a tangent here and tell, 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 tell a funny story well i think it's funny anyway in my in my weird in my weird kind of um, screwed up mind. So um, I was listening to a, uh, a documentary um, about Williams and um, sorry, it was a, it was an interview with Claire Williams. I was listening to this was quite a while ago, so it's not particularly. Did she mention her brother again? Um, no, she didn't mention her brother. The brother that <laughs> the brother that just kind of like machines things in the in the basement, going. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> the troll in the basement. Yeah, exactly. I am the chosen one for Frank Williams. Mm. Um, no, you're not. Go back and machine those bolts. Um, so <laughs> you watch. She'll yeah. start running it. It'll yeah, running but you know, what? I saw I saw some weird internet person like saying, "Oh, you need. To, uh, is it John Williams or Jeff or I don't know, yeah. someone like that?" Um, begins with a J, I think. But that that person yeah. should be put in charge. Jonathan, I think it is. He should be put in charge. It's like, how how can you say that just because his surname's Williams and he's a man as opposed to Claire, who's obviously uh, a woman? It, it tells me like, oh, just, yeah. I mean, that is the thing, though. That is Frank yeah. Williams, isn't it? Yeah. Like, but this, anyway, this this story. So I was listening to this um, this interview with, got two with Claire sons. Williams. Two sons. Yeah, I thought he had at least one. But um, mm. yeah, he. Um, Thank you, Wikipedia. He got Wikipedia. Um, good on, yeah. on the hoof googling. Um, so um, I was listening to this interview with with Claire Williams, and she was talking about how she was a press officer. Um, and you know how when you're listening to stuff in Bluetooth headphones and then it pauses and goes silent for about a second when you get a message and then just goes WhatsApp in your ear. I don't know if anyone yeah. else knows that. So that's what my headphones do. Um, so it just stops. Mine don't. It, just, okay. it just stops for no reason for about a second and then tells you you have a message on WhatsApp. So I'm listening to this interview from Claire Williams um, and then I got absolutely shocked when she goes, so um, Frank's there being interviewed and I'm standing there holding his dick. WhatsApp to phone. That was all. Uh, <laughs> right, so I had to put the right you together. can actually see the tumbleweeds. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. Um, more dicks. I mean, we had enough dicks last mm. week. But it seemed yeah, well, dicks. dicks do follow dicks, as you said last week. Uh, so. 
Yeah, and I, like, I like the idea of Claire Williams, but I just think she's not up to it. Mm. I don't think she's ever been up to it. I think she's, they need, what Williams needed is to get, back in the day, someone like Ross Braun or the Hornet. Do you know someone like that that could come in and run that team? Do you know who? But they tried to keep it in the family. Do you know who pushed her into that role? It was Toto Wolf. Well, I didn't like yeah. the head honcho of Mercedes. Um, he was working yeah. for Williams at the time and uh, was discussing with Frank about uh, handing over the deputy team principal role to somebody to run the team on a day-to-day basis. And he pushed Claire Williams to do it. <laughs> Excuse me, I'll cut I mean, that out. And he was off to Mercedes. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This was towards the end of his tenure at Williams. So, you know, it's like, right, Williams at the time were were quite, were just about to make a big turning point and become competitive again. Um, and then Toto moves to Mercedes, and it yeah. just kind of makes me think: Did he know that he was going to be off and wanted to take down the competition? I also from wonder whether Toto Wolf was handed the was offered the position and then pushed it away, knowing that he had actually, I think the I think she took Toto's job. Thinking about it, I think it was no, really. actually Toto pushed Claire to take over from him. I think that might have been what it was. Well, I mean, he probably, Toto probably wants to be team principal, and when you've got Frank Williams there being senile and his daughter on the back foot, he saw a very good know. investment opportunity in Mercedes, yeah. and you know he is a very very rich man as a result. Williams should have sold that years ago, or or franchised it better or done something well the trouble is they're very stubborn than what Claire's done they're very stubborn yeah. because they had you know they had one of the richest men no, in the world about the history isn't it but they had one of the richest men in the world Lawrence Stroll like willing to bankroll that team but in their own stubbornness they're like no we are Williams we are not going to sell up and they and kind of they, they and then he went and looked elsewhere you know and BMW did the same thing it was BMW Williams and they were you know they came second in the world championship Juan Pablo Montoya came second in the world championship with the most amount of points any driver ever got at the time without winning a world championship um, won several races in that car um, if it hadn't been for the fact that Ferrari was so utterly dominant at the time they would have won the championship that year and this was with bmw and then just because of the stubbornness of williams and you have to do things the williams way bmw thought you know we've had enough of this and they went and bought salber and you know they they built salber into a race winning team but then they dumped salber in it and left them as well so i mean well i i think you know that could have happened to williams i just think they're a team that could have been or were and then could have been and I don't know. I'd love to see the Williams name continue. I'd love to see that heritage continue. And I'd love to see that team continue. I just think they need now to get someone up and coming to come and actually reignite that flame and really push it forward. I'm sure Corner or Toto or Braun have a second in command that would love to relish that opportunity um, and step up into being the team principal get rid of mr Fre- get rid of mr williams because he's seen on and useless get rid of claire and put a new system into that with, with keeping the williams name the williams heritage and the williams style i keep claire in as deputy team principal but he needs a better principal it's him that needs to go and i'm surprised he hasn't gone literally to the grave already let alone, you know, when that when he goes, that's going to be a very sad day. Harsh needs... words, Carl. Really harsh but words. I don't think, but I don't, I don't, you know, it's going to be a very sad day. But I don't think it's going to be, you know, nothing's going to change in that team. 
and it's I, I don't know why Nicky Lauda or someone didn't come in and do it mm. you know well Nicky Lauda's got the slight handicap in that he's dead now um, yeah but, but, but why he didn't do it do you know what I mean why they didn't get someone that's got some pedigree in yeah. to be the deputy you know keep Claire as cat if, of, as chairman or whatever absolutely no problem but they need a team principal that knows their shit or even a deputy team principal that knows their shit push Claire into team principal and get rid of Frank who will die within five years anyway uh, I'm of a differing opinion I think Frank should have the whole kind of Bernie Eggleston role of like chairman emeritus so like he's mm-hmm. he's linked to the team yeah, in in a absolutely. high position, but has no real power, which is basically what he's doing now. Uh, which is yeah. why it's kind of gone off the ball a little bit because he's not got the mental capacity and the physical but capacity he, to do the job anymore. But he hasn't got a second in command that knows anything about anything about Formula One. You've got someone that's got her, a, a history of being in Formula One. That's like me going to be a nurse because my parents were nurses, mm. and me trying to run a ward. Okay, yeah, my parents have been in mid in medical field the whole life. I know quite a bit about it. My wife's a nurse. I mentioned I've got a wife, but I married. That I wouldn't know anything about being a nurse or a medical field or running a ward. And I think sometimes, no matter how far you're into it, you are also blindsided by what's there. You can't see the outside picture, and you need someone to come in, like you know, even oh, it's just annoying. You know, yeah, even I... an investor like Lance Stroll would have come in with a different approach. Yeah, and I think that's what he tried to do, and then in the end, he just got fed up with it and left for um, um, for Racing Point instead. Because he so saw what that will that happen to to form to you. So you think they've got a, either a sponsorship or yeah. a sale? Well, they, they've said up. that they have no cash flow problems for this season. So they've got they've got the financing in place to get through this season. So they've got nothing to worry about this year. You've then got the cost cap. Um, so. At the moment, which is only going to play into there. Yeah, but the problem they've got is even if you do make a big jump up the grid, you don't get your prize money until the year after. So they're not going to get any prize money for last year, this year, at the end of this year. So that means end of next year, they will get the money from this year, which is probably it. not going to be that much. So they're, they're not going to be getting a huge amount. Of, even if they make a big jump up the grid for 2020, they're not going to, or for 2021, they're not going to see that money until 2022. So it's yeah. it's uh I know you can secure loans against guaranteed prize money and things like that, but it's still just not not a great position to be in. And I think they must have something lined up because I said they wouldn't have cancelled that deal with Rocket if um if they didn't have something else in the pipeline. If they did, then mm. to be honest, they deserve to go out of business because that is just absolutely foolhardy. So um, yeah, and especially in this period as well, without a doubt. Um, you know, and especially with the racism. So damning words indeed. That. Damning words indeed against Williams. Um, some some fair and justified. Some maybe slightly unfair. But um, <laughs> but even so, that's you know. The we thing are... is, I love Williams. I do. Yeah, I absolutely. Really... And to be honest, I think this 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 criticism is born out of frustration uh, in yeah. seeing one of the best teams. My first ever memory of Formula One. Not my first. Actually, my not my first ever memory of Formula One, but in fact, no, my first ever memory of Formula One involved a Williams car. It involved Nigel Mansell being overtaken by Nelson Piquet at Silverstone. Um, my first ever memory was Damon Hill in, the, in, in Williams. Mm. That's my first memory of being watching races. I couldn't tell you which race I'm not. I haven't got that brain. Um, but I all I remember is being 
it, yeah, it was Eddie Jordan. It was um, Jordan and um, Williams. Yeah, I yeah, remember having having a teams. Williams, um, well, having a Scalextrix car, um, and was well. being was being annoyed yeah. about the fact it was a it was a really rubbish looking car. So I got loads of sticky labels and covered it, and then wrote Rothmans on it um, for the Williams <laughs> and, and coloured it in blue and white. And so you know, my the the first race I remember getting really passionate about was uh, Monaco '92. Uh, Mansell and yeah. Mansell and Senna, um, Mansell and the Williams. So it's yeah, it, I I hate to see. I mean, I'm a McLaren man through and through because obviously um, Ayrton Senna being my favourite driver, um, and I've always mm. been McLaren from when I got to the age where I could make a choice about teams. But um, Williams are, are right up there as they're always everyone's second favourite team, seemingly, especially in England. They're yeah. everyone's second favourite team. Everyone wants to see Williams do well. And they're, they're a homegrown not. team as well. And it's they? just, it's so upsetting to see. And that's why, you know, we, we're saying these, you know, these damning critical words against them, really. And, and it's not born out of hatred. You know, that that's reserved purely for Ferrari for me. But, um, <laughs> but oh yeah, absolutely. These aren't, this isn't dicks following dicks. This isn't arseholes. This is frustration of mismanagement. This is like, that, that's so often like um, football. Do you know what I mean? There's so many people that are passionate about football and the mismanagement of teams and the mismanagement of the um, dressing rooms. You know, this is what it feels like in an F1 world. Yeah. You know, um, so you, you never look at the mismanagement of the actual pit lane really it's always management beyond that in in f1 that you look at you, no one really has a clue what goes on in the pit lane yeah which would be an interesting another podcast because i'd love yeah. to know all about pit lane and what goes actually on yeah. with all those stuff but anyway um should we move yeah. on to mclaren the other team that are the other team the other really that, you know um well you love mclaren of so. course yeah um so they're laying off um they're laying off 70 people um, from, from their, their um, from their 800 strong workforce, uh, but that's the Formula One F1 operation. Or... They're losing 25% of their overall staff, um, 1,200 jobs out of the 4,000 people they employ, wow. um, which is mostly, as I said, it's mostly from the um, car manufacturing side of things because they like like Renault and Mercedes, and I don't include Ferrari in this because Ferrari aren't an F1 to sell cars. Um, they do have a road car manufacturing business um, and no one's buying McLarens at the moment for obvious reasons. I, do, I and, see, I thought, I remember talking about this on yeah. pretty much the first podcast. Yeah, I think we I said, thought the you know, rich would the rich would be rich and the rich would still be on McLarens. I so think it's, I think I they will. By that. I think they will, but the problem is that no one's buying anything at the moment because no one can do anything. So it's not so much that the money's run out and there will be a, uh, an, an inevitable financial crisis as a result of this. But, um, but no, right now at this moment, the expected revenue of McLaren will have taken an absolutely massive plummet because you've got Renault. They will, they have road cars going from your one liters all the way up to your supercars. Um, similar with Mercedes as well, but McLaren don't. They've only got hypercars. If they're not selling so hypercars, they they've got to do that. Because I, th- I mean, this is the reason why Aston Martin had the Signet, was it had to have a smaller-engined car, um, and they just took the Toyota IQ and 
Well, they're buzzed it up a bit. McLaren, as a business, they've been on a big recruitment drive over the last um, five to ten years. I mean, I know firsthand because I was trying to get employed by them as well various times. But um, they they have you know they have tripled their workforce over the last sort of ten years, and they are one of the biggest growth industries in the car market. Um, yeah. When you look at percentage growth, they are right up there. Um, mm-hmm. They were the the highest growth business in the country at one point. Um, so they've they've made massive growth, but the problem is now it's because it, they've had because they've got such a fragile peak of an industry, it's taken an absolute plummet. Um, and I think they will come through it fine, but in the meantime, they're laying off you know thirty percent of their workforce, one thousand two hundred people out of four thousand people. Seventy people are seventy are part of the 20. race team. So I imagine a lot of that will be um, will be the. I don't want to use the word unskilled because they're not, but you know, a lot of it would be like the, the, the kind of the catering again, I don't want to say expendable, but you know what I mean? The yeah. people that, you know, they can literally put yeah, a, they can put a, put a job, put a job up for it, or they can get in contractors, you know, the kind of thing that given that there's not the going to be, staff and yeah, there's like not going to be a lot in the way of hospitality required this season because so many of the races are going to be behind closed doors that mm. um, they're not going to need those staff there. So they can either have them furloughed um, at 80% and then come August, they've got to start paying those wages or they can just lay well, them half off. Those ra- oh, yeah. 20% yeah. Into yeah. Um, or they can just lay them off and then rehire them because it's not like, again, trying not to... Um, trying not to like insult people and the worth of people in the business because your people are the people you know that, that make the business but they are people that you can replace reasonably easily it's not like you're, you're losing you're not it's not like you're losing zach brown or you know someone like adrian Newey yeah, or something like that look, i mean the pit will look very similar you're not going to lose anything you're not going to you're not going to know who you, who's lost it's yeah. not like there's going to be yeah. One, two I mean, people doing the wheels they, instead of four. McLaren have always prided I mean? themselves on being um, a very efficient workforce. And I think the problem that I've got with this is they were one of the first teams to ask for financial aid. Um, they were one of the first teams to furlough staff. Um, and now they are the first team to announce that they're going to be um, laying people is off. Is this the first of other teams doing that? or It might be that they're reacting quicker to avoid yeah. pain further on they they're trying to spin it as as you know we're we're reducing headcount now to to save um to save things later on i mean ferrari said they're going to be redeploying people mercedes are such a huge organization they can redeploy people um same with renault but mclaren because again 4000 is still a, a lot of jobs but it's still dwarfed by if you look at the in, the amount of people that are employed by Mercedes as a whole by Ferrari as a whole by Renault as a whole yeah. um, and Honda and Red Bull as an organization they can always redeploy people McLaren have only got have only got cars that's all they've got um oh, they've got their technology um technology arms but again if it, you're talking um less you know less specialist staff there's there's yeah. nothing they can move them into. They can't move them to another area. So it kind of I understand where that comes from. So they're kind of they're that awkward team where they're they're not a big manufacturer, but they're not a small operation. So as a result, their kind of their performance to personnel ratio is going to be lower because they're bigger than the small teams, but they're smaller than the big teams. Yeah. They're always going to be in that they, middle ground. Yeah, it's not like yeah. They'll always be in that Renault ballpark where Renault are a big operation, but they're not as big as Mercedes. They're not as big as Ferrari. 
Um, yeah. They're not as big as Red Bull as an organization, but um, but the car manufacturing side of it is. But again, they're state owned as well, so they have to justify all their costs. So talking about Renault, they're going to continue in F1. Yes, um, and Mercedes as well. No, Mercedes and, and Renault. Uh, apparently so. It seems like okay. Cyril Abitbull has done a good enough job of convincing the Renault board that with the cost cap coming in, that they are able to justify the spend. Because in the past, it's been Renault have come back into the sport, said, oh, we need 200 million to be competitive. Renault have paid 200 million and they've not been competitive. And then they said, oh, we need another 100 million to be competitive. And then Renault have said, oh, um, all right, but you need to win. And then they said, we need another 100 million to be competitive. And then Renault have said, nah, we're out. Um, that yeah. can't happen now because they've got a spend cap. So it seems like the 145 million with the gradual reduction um, is enough to to appease the Renault Keep board them, yeah. um, and continue to bill the French taxpayers to bankroll. And um, Macron has agreed it, I presume. <laughs> I guess so. So yeah, it seems like that. Which, um, I, to be honest, I'm very meh about Renault. I couldn't really care less about about Renault as an F1 team. They're always seem to be full of. Um, false promises and i really like the endstone outfit that run the formula one team but regards yeah. to renault as owning i find them far too scatty and i couldn't care less about them to be honest i literally couldn't care less about renault they're just the problem with them is they make really boring cars so why would they make a decent f1 do you know what i mean like, yeah but they interestingly, are the most boring car company in the world. But interestingly, when when Alonso won the world championship in two thousand and five and two thousand and six, apparently their their car sales went up some ridiculous percentage. Like they sold like more than double the cars they Who's would do normally. Who's buying a Renault exactly. Megane and a Renault well, Clio and a Renault Scenic? At the time, it was like Fernando Alonso was given a Renault Laguna and he had to be seen driving it around as like part of his I mean, deal. And then people a like Laguna out here. Yeah, and I mean it's. It's twenty years old and it's still bloody brilliant. So, well, that's probably you know. one of the ones. If that was, yeah. So, <laughs> actually, no, that's pre-Alonso winning the world championship, yeah. isn't it? Um, but like, why? No, they're so boring and dull, and there's mm. no excitement about a Renault car ever, mm. ever. I mean, I have to agree with I can't you. Can't even think of a sporty Renault. Yeah, I don't um, see the. I don't and see the why point. Why would they be in an F? I don't get the thing. I can get McLaren. I get. Ferrari, I get Mercedes. Um, that makes they all make sense, you know. I could understand if Lamborghini came in, although they're owned by whoever, or Bugatti, you know, because they're racing privileged cars. Lamborghini were actually rumored to be entering Formula One a few years ago as an engine. Uh, they're as, owned by as, VW, aren't they? As an engine manufacturer. Um, um, oh, maybe. Yes. I know Bugatti yes. are Lamborghini as yeah. well. I'm sure. I mean, VW were all set to enter F1, and then they had the whole um, See, emission then, scandal, yeah. and then they just basically ended all interest after that because they got fined all of the money in the world, so they couldn't afford to anymore. Um, I'm just gonna owned by VW. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. Audi. Yeah, Audi VW. Yeah, VW Audi. They're the same company. Yeah. Yeah. Own Skoda. Own. Anyway, yeah, so um, I mean, that's good news for Formula One because um, right now I do think the future of Formula One way down the line may not be linked to manufacturers. I think we will be seeing a lot more privateer operations uh, with the cost cap. And I think a lot of the big teams will jump to Formula E or WEC or, or something else. Um, I, I don't think that, that I don't I think, think the manufacturers the other way, actually. I well, it depends what the engine is. 
it just depends on the engine but I think you will see more privateer outfits in Formula 1 later on but right now they need the manufacturers to stay in so it's good news that Renault are staying in um, for mm. Formula 1 team wise I couldn't care less if they're you know I couldn't care less yeah. if they're second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth I don't really care um, but I, say, I, I really like the Enstone outfit and I hope that they do well but couldn't care less about Renault um, Mercedes have committed that they are well they have confirmed I beg your pardon that they are committed to Formula 1 so does that mean as an engine manufacturer or does that mean as um, as, a, as a works team or um, because the, there's rumours would they go out on a high I don't know. Well, what um, more? What more can they achieve? Time. What more can they achieve in Formula One? They've won six constructors and drivers championships on the bounce uh, this season. They're looking fixed to do it again, um, and with the rules staying static for 2021 as well, you'd have to say they're favourites for uh, for two more championships. Not saying they're definitely going to win two more championships, but they are definitely going to be competitive and fighting for the next two championships. So, especially if they keep Hamilton. Yeah, I mean. Are they going to win eight I think on the something bounce? needs to change there just for the excitement factor. Whether it's Hamilton vanishes and they put someone else in. Total Wolf's contract expires at the end of the year and there's rumours that him he's going to tie up with Lawrence Stroll um, at Racing Point. And now with these you know these rumours about Mercedes leaving Formula One, um, the, the rumour is that Lawrence Stroll is going to buy Mercedes, um, which I, I can't see that happening but um but what and keep it as mercedes strong mercedes or who knows stroll motorsport with lance stroll at the wheel the f- it'll be like the, the only the second ever I mean, that's person what's happening anyway would have only been the, the second ever person to win a world championship with uh with their name on the car um who was that uh jack brabham was the only person to win a world title in a car with holding his name so um, yeah, it could well be that Lawrence Stroll <laughs> might end up buying Mercedes, putting Lance Stroll in there, and then partnering him with. Um, I can't think of a driver worse than Lance Stroll. Marcus Ericsson. No, I think probably Marcus Ericsson was better than Lance Stroll. Um, um, trying to think of a driver. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think Hulkenberg is overrated, not shit. <laughs> There's a difference there. Um, no, well, yeah, but that's um, the thing. Um, um, no, I'm out. Yeah. Well, you could it could it could be Robert Kubica, but make it that um, that is really hard to steer right in it, and then he won't be able to steer <laughs> right. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. So um, yeah. Um, yeah. That's. I mean, I I would be very surprised if that was the case, but um, it's a possibility, I suppose. Is something. Yeah. Um. But they're saying they're committed to Formula 1. But another thing that I think might be an option there. Um, a few years ago, 2017, McLaren wanted to get out of their Honda. Oh, we're back on McLaren again, aren't we? Uh, McLaren wanted to get out of their Honda engine deal. And they were trying to get Mercedes engines. And Mercedes basically said, in no uncertain terms, are we going to put an engine in that car? Because uh, we think that, you know, or they did say this out loud, but yeah. they thought the McLaren would then be too much of a pain in the ass because they'd have too good a engine in the car and they might be too close to them. Don't mind giving engines to Manners or Force Indias or whatever because they, you know, they're not going to be competing with them. They did the same yeah. thing with Renault. They're basically sorry with Red Bull. They led Red Bull along, thinking they give them engines. And then at the last minute, said actually no, you're not going to have our engine. Um, then all of a sudden, after two years of Renault. Andreas Seidel went to Mercedes to discuss the possibility and they were just like, actually, yeah, yeah, you can have Mercedes engines, which makes me think, are they going to stay in 
and then they're just gonna or they're gonna pull out and just do engines and then that way they've got their de facto works team back and you know McLaren, McLaren Mercedes such a big mm. name from the past would they just go back to that I do wonder whether the talk of car sales will keep Mercedes in as you you know as they say win on win on uh, Sunday buy on Monday you know yeah it's sort of that's that that used to be the old rallying term but i do wonder if that still affects formula one you know that that and having you know if you go to merck places pictures of hamilton around you yeah know. well we discussed um yes. on one of our earlier podcasts about um the growth of mercedes since being in formula one and i can't remember the numbers now um but it was just the numbers were phenomenal of, of the growth involved in Mercedes mm. since they since um, 2013 when they started winning races again and 2014 when they started dominating the championships that just the growth of the the brand since then is absolutely unfathomable so much yeah. so I can't even say unfathomable there we go unfathomable yeah that's such a hard word yeah um, yeah um, so... talking about engines then yeah. I mean Mercedes are uh, there's a I, I don't know much about this. In the engine freeze? Yes. So, um, uh, what? They, so they can't change engines now? Or? So they, in the coming years, Formula One intends to implement some serious regulations regarding the development of engines. The motorsport body wants to work towards a renewed philosophy for motors, which should take effect from 2025. So at the moment, they're still developing it's engines. A long term. But, they, but by 2025, they want to basically freeze the engines. Um, which involves so Honda, Renault, Mercedes, and Ferrari. Um, they want to stop them. Um, so um, every power every power source supplier is allowed to come with an improved version of the power source, the turbo, the MGUH, which um, for um, for those of you out there who don't understand, and also Carl, that's the motor generating Lovely. unit heat once a year, which is basically your heat recovery system. So like energy from braking, that kind of thing, heat from braking. Yeah. And then that's your kinetic energy. Um, Mm -hmm. That goes, that's the MGUK. So um, you can change one element of your, um, your internal combustion engine, your turbo or your energy device once a year under new regulations in 2021, 2022 and 2023. From then on, development will be halted. The rules regarding the MGUK, which is the Kinetic Energy Recovery System, um, energy storage and electrics are becoming even stricter. An improvement may be introduced. Carl, wake up. Uh, for these components Jesus by the end of 2022. Christ. So after which they may make one more adjustment over a period of two years. So basically, in uh, to simplify that... Um, Jesus, yeah. Go some, me up. some elements of the engine, they're gonna say you can't improve. You can only improve them once a year. Elements, other elements of the engine, you're not gonna be able to change at all from 2022. And then come 2025, you can't change anything at all. So basically, For all how of long? They're saying you can't change an engine for the next 20, yeah. 30 so years. So freezing development allows engine manufacturers to make significant savings in development costs. So again, it's cost saving. It doesn't say um, wh- how long this is for, but they're intending to make sweeping changes to the en- engine regulations some point after 2025. So they will freeze all engine oh, development. That's and I, and I, I imagine that probably 2026, 2027, they will be looking to changing it to something else. Um, I can guarantee you what they're going to be changing it to. Go on then. On my life, it'll be a better hybrid system or a Formula E system. 
Potentially. That's my. I mean, that's far enough away for them to develop that. Yeah. It will. It will affect. It won't affect the cost cap because it'll come under engine development and things. You know. Yeah. I think it'll be a powertrain. Uh, hybrid powertrain, a better hybrid system. I can't see Formula One moving away from um, liquid propulsion systems. Um, no, not, it'll be not a whole short term. massive hybrid system. There'll but, be a shitload more batteries. Yeah, in it there might be. You know, it might be that you've got. You know, you've got like a one liter. Yeah, that'll be twin. Yeah, be like a one liter. Be like a one liter twin turbo with with maximum of fifteen liters of fuel allowed to be used in the race or something like that, and then everything else Uh, is done for electric power or. My my bet is it'll be a small generator powering the batteries, and then all the powertrain will come off the batteries. Yeah, so basically you have you have a minuscule amount of fuel powering these hugely sophisticated engines. But if they're going to do that, then they would have to standardize the engines because you you can't. You, you can't go Good through what they've done again. Since 2014, the hybrid engines, you know, they're great technology and they've done wonderful things for the motoring industry, but they've done absolutely F all for Formula One. But all you'd also have to go into a four-wheel drive system again. Yeah, at the moment, the four-wheel with, drive... With an electric car, you'd be very stupid yeah. not to go into a four-wheel system. Yeah, drive four-wheel drive is currently outlawed in Formula One. You can't have four-wheel but, drive. Yeah. But it, yeah, it they'd have to change you that. Have to. Yeah. I mean, they've got to get these 2022 regulations in first. Um, hopefully, they can get them in for 2022 and then see where it goes from there. Um, but that's. I think that that's a good roadmap. To, you can tell I've been listening to Corona news. I think that's a good roadmap for a, a better hybrid system or, or a battery operated system. I don't know if you, I think you're right. I don't think a full battery system will go into Formula One um, by 2025, but I think a better hybrid system very much like the car that i've got out there you know that's heavily battery orientated yeah it's either Um, that i mean i don't know if if um because formula one needs to formula one needs to understand what it is and it needs to know what it is and it needs to just decide and stick to it um at the moment they're all about road relevance if they're going to stick to that that's fine stick to it but they've got to make the show more interesting if they want to make it all about the, the show then and forget about the um, the road relevance, then that's fine. But again, they need to decide to do that. Um, yeah. Are they going to go down the route of of um, hydrogen power? Is it something they're going to? I mean, you, you look at how far engines have come since 2014 with Formula One yeah. using the hybrid technology, and they have come on leaps and bounds. If Formula One were to adopt a hydrogen power element to their engines, um, yeah. that could bring hydrogen power to the fore for the rest of the world yeah. as well so that might well because it just gives them a chart yeah they'll hold the engine but then go oh but you can use this this and this and that'll be the new whatever the, whatever the constructors choose. i mean i would like to I, I would like them to, to do something along the lines of you can use whatever you want you know, you have to you can produce this much power and you can use this much fuel you're only allowed to have a hundred Red yeah. Power yeah. No. No. So it's like you. You. Yeah. You can fuel. produce this much torque, this much power, and this much fuel. How you do that is up to you. If you want to use a, you know, a a a, a V12 Small twin mass. turbo, yeah. <laughs> or you want, or you want to use the the power of of Robert Kubica's dreams to power your engine. Yeah. Then you know that's that's fine. You you do whatever you want. Um. But it just has to. This is the maximum output. This is the maximum power. This is the maximum fuel. If you do that, however you want. I mean, that would then become an incredibly expensive formula again 
um, but it would be at the forefront of technology. And you know, like you'd have well, almost like space age technology. Cap, so it'd still yeah. be whether they'd want to be in the engines. And and let's be honest, and let's say that then saying that there is no budget cap on engines anyway. Yeah, but they could at the moment with with that it would bring back the um it would bring back the um innovations into formula one that's what i would like to see because you you only at the moment i mean you get like the mercedes das system uh you get i mean we're going to talk about innovations later on in our top fives yes. and there's a reason why most of these innovations really are you know from yesteryear because formula one now is yeah. very much in a box you, you can only build a car in a box yeah when i was researching our top five and it is quite hard to find Mm. anything before 1990 that is innovative mm. you know I yeah, it's, it's, it's become harder it's become a lot harder you know you look at things yeah. like i'm not going to mention any of my top fives but you look at things like when they started putting aerofoils on cars and you had wings that you know wings upon wings upon wings and you had like rear mm. wings at like six feet in the air and you know yeah. gra- ground effect aerodynamics and all that kind of stuff it's you don't really get anything like that anymore. You used to get, I remember in 1998, McLaren rolled their car out and then they were four seconds a lap quicker than everyone, um, yeah. which nobody would have known about, but they were so afraid the car was going to break down, they were running them on half power. And it was only when yeah. Mika Hakkinen drove through the pits accidentally that he then had to put his foot down to catch up with David Coulthard that they were like, all oh, cats out of the bag now, that's how fast you can go. Mm. Um, and then everyone realised how much catching up they had to do but that mclaren was so fragile that they could never really run it at full power but the power was incredible mm. that kind of innovation you don't get anymore it's only really when yeah. these when these new engines came out and mercedes stole the march that people had that you haven't really had mm. that since um since 2009 really um which and, and it's it's a shame because we should be looking at either greener, cleaner engines that with more horsepower. You know, you can only have a two-liter. Yeah, and if you had as many horsepower as you want, that's not available. You know, they're they're so it, they've always painted themselves into a box. Yeah, you know, into a corner with it. And I understand and they're they're trying to they're trying to make it so that you can get closer racing and that you can you know the, like the dirty air of the car doesn't doesn't affect them so much. But so if you want to do that, go and watch IndyCar. Formula One has always been about the technical innovations. Um, and if you want to go and watch close racing, watch NASCAR, watch IndyCar, yeah. watch rallying for all I care. I fully agree with one of one of Ross Braun's things where he said, you know, if you're going to spend tens of millions of pounds developing something that the fan can't see, then I don't see the point. So I fully agree that they don't need to spend millions and millions of pounds developing a gearbox because the fans can't see that. They don't need to spend all these countless millions developing engines because the fans don't see that. Um, and if they're developing things that look ugly on the cars, again, get rid of them. Um, not the yeah. halo because that's uh, that's safety, but should certainly develop a more elegant system. Well, get rid of it and put the aero foil system. Away. Potentially, yeah, or so, or something different. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. As long as you can see it on the winning track. I mean, yes, if the gearbox system gives you an extra two seconds somehow, then absolutely concentrate on the gearbox system but if it's giving you a thousandth of a millisecond yeah why bother yeah you know and th- don't but that's bother. that's the that's small margins helping. that they work with now and that's that's what's frustrating i think it's it's a really fine balancing act of you know allowing the team's room to be innovative and creative in their designs but without creating this formula where you just can't race 
and that's the problem. You need to create the speed, but you need to give them ways where they can be innovative and create speed, but without creating all this this aerodynamic drag, which means you can't follow. So things like standardised front and rear wings, that might be the way forward. So if you say you have to have you have to have this front wing and this rear wing, you can run it in whatever in whatever formation you want mm. to give yourself the best lap time, but this is the wing that you have to have. Build your car around these wings, and then that way you've got that that airflow coming out the back, and maybe diffusers as mm. well, so that the, the air coming off the back of the car is controlled, so cars yeah, can Yeah, well, we all close. know about Braun and his diffuser anyway. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get onto that a little bit later on. Spoiler alert, that's one of my top five. Um, not so much the diffuser, but anyway, I'm not going to talk about that now. Um, yeah, so... so... That was a sexy-looking car going back to last week. <sighs> Livery-wise, I yeah. I should have gone with that one. Yeah, it was a lovely-looking car. Very simple. Mm. The only yeah. thing about that, saying that it did, it did get ruined because um, it did have one of the biggest dickheads in the world's name across it. Hamilton? No, he raced for McLaren at the time. Oh, um, right, and I'm not having Virgin Richard Branson what a twat alright yeah I'm sorry he's an, he's, an, he's an absolute he's Got an absolute he's an absolute twat how he I just like is he just, no, like no he's an absolute no. twat he just no, it's I like he came him. into Braun thinking like he was this you know this saviour of the team but the team had already built a a car that was capable of winning a world championship and he just came and saying hey look at us we're amazing look at what we've done together and then he went and bought his own team and then it was an absolute pile of <laughs> excrement so yeah i don't like richard branson i think he's a knob hang on we're going back to formula one why hasn't elon musk put in a formula one team yet who knows who knows it might or maybe formula in the future e that would be interesting i think mm. if elon musk put in a, a formula team whether a, that would be real or tesla put in a Formula E team or something. I don't know how Formula E works. I, I think really it would be, I think it'd be but, Formula E if it was anything. But can you imagine the, that would be exciting. That would be really, and, and if you went for your engine idea that Elon Musk could put in a fully electric Formula yeah. One car in that was competitive, that would be really interesting. I think, te yeah, if it would be Formula E. I don't think it would be Formula One, but yeah, Tesla would be certainly an interesting brand to, to be linked to, uh, to Formula One or to and why has I mean Tesla not sponsored one of these brands yet? I know, I suppose because they're electric and you know. Yeah, I can't see in the current formation. I can't see Tesla coming into Formula One, but maybe in the future, maybe sort of twenty twenty five onwards. That would be sent, that'd be a really cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, potentially. Anyway, sorry, I'm yawning. Yawning um, away. Yawning talking away. about this, and we've gone on some random tangent. I can't even remember yeah. where we stopped. So um, we're, we're on to the season. We've actually got some yes, some racing. And this is where we can actually talk about some stuff that isn't Formula One related as well, that also isn't IndyCar related, because we're talking about IndyCar later in the week. But yeah, um, opening eight races confirmed. Which, which are is... Austria on the 5th of July, Austria on the 12th of July, Hungary on the 19th of July, Great Britain episode one on the 2nd of august great britain episode two on the 9th of august spain on the 16th of august belgium on the 30th of august and italy on the 6th of september yeah which means that's our eight races which we need to have a championship but not only that we're also well, going to be that gives you a european championship anyway yeah but you need to have um all fia affiliated formulas have to have at least eight races to be deemed a championship so that means okay. that we've got a championship and we will have a world champion this year. 
So but if if all of those eight races happen, boring season but, ever. But also you've got as well you've got Portugal and um, Germany are sitting in the wings waiting. If any of those drop off the calendar due to you know if there's a further outbreak and we have to we have to cancel that race, they are in the wings during that European season to swoop in and host a Grand Prix. So this is really really good work from from FOM to be able to. They've now basically guaranteed that the European season um, will will form a championship, which will also include Formula Two and Formula Three. Yeah, which we thought was not was going to go away. I, yeah, but... well, we we said that, and then the following week, or like the the, the a day later, they then said, yeah. no, 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 Formula Two and Formula Three are still happening, which is great because that means those youngsters still get their chance to come through. They can earn their super points. Mitch, Schumacher before he goes into a bigger team. Or... Well, yeah, that's that's um, on the agenda for later. Oh, what's his name? Oh, what's his name? The um, Zhu, Zhu on or whatever the Japanese. What name. Guan Yu Zhou? Guan Yu Zhou, that's the one. Um, what I am, I think I'm, I, I'm gutted in some ways that these are on two separate weekends, and they're the same race. Are they not going to be really boring having the same race in the same format in the same way? They're looking at um, reverse grids. Um, no, as a um, as other... Toto Wolf put a Toto Wolf put a um, nail in that coffin. Yeah, but well, no, he didn't put a nail in it. He's he said he's not in favour of it. No, it's it's nailed. He's he's nailed it. Um, there was an interview with uh, Chris Hor- Christian Horner, and he said Toto Wolf's put a nail in it. It's not happening. Uh, he's gone to Liberty saying it's not going to work. Well, and Christian Horner was like, yeah, because basically it's going to ruin his um, his system. Yes, with, uh, um, I know he's not for it, but that what they're saying as well is they could do reverse grid qualifying, not racing, reverse grid qualifying. So like. Um, if you if you won the race the previous Sunday, then you would um, how was it so thirty minute race on the Saturday, starting with the order based on reverse championship position. The driver leading the standings would line up. So basically, if that's in Austria, that would basically be the last race because if it was that's the first race, so whoever won the first race would be leading the championship. So they would line up in reverse championship order, um, and then race for thirty minutes, and then that would be the qualifying for the race on Sunday. God no, just just to. Right, just to a normal qualifying on the first one, um, yeah, and a yeah. normal race on the first, the first one, and on the second weekend, do a back to front order, grid order. That's the end of that. And I think they can definitely mix it up somehow. They should do something to mix it up, otherwise it will just to, be two it's races. It's going to be carbon copy boring. Potentially, yeah. Um, it really is. It'll be interesting. Um, I've never seen two races on the same circuit, but I mean, you look at Formula 2, and um and Formula Three and they have two races a weekend and all those races back are to, always yeah, different. But, back, but yeah, they do have grid. they do have reverse grid to be fair on those. And and no one really watches those apart from the people that Careful. are on the racetrack. Careful. Let's be honest. No, apart no, from they... the people on the racetrack, not, not a lot of people not a lot of everyday people watch those. I've never seen a Formula Two racetrack. They're all Most, televised. You know. I watch yeah, them. Yeah, if you've got Sky F one, I'm gonna have to download it. I'm gonna have to look it up and now. Um, uh, you don't need so to. They've. Um, you don't need to because they. Um, Formula Two and Formula Three do highlights of every race on a YouTube channel after every race. So you oh, don't really? need to have a subscription. You can just look them up on YouTube, okay. and you can watch no, the I highlights. I'll be watching them all because we're going to be reviewing them all, not like full yeah. reviews, but we are going to be talking about Formula Two and it's Formula Three once the season gets it. going. But I don't think. I think it's ridiculous. I just really do. I think it's ridiculous. Like, but it'll be really boring, really dull, and. 
I don't think. I think they've got to be clever with Austria and and, and Silverstone as well. They need to do something to mix it up to make it different. Um, and they've got the a really good opportunity here to test things just to see how they work. I hate it when they just bring things in and just and they just basically can them because they don't work straight away. Um, I think you need to test well, the these things is, out. The problem is that they've only got and they've only got two opportunities to do it. Yeah, they, mean, they might be an Asian double-headed as well yeah i mean there's, there's talk about two races in bahrain two races in abu dhabi um so um they, they could well get up to that 18 races um 18 to 20 races potentially yeah. um i was looking because it seems like the whole a race on a wednesday seems to have disappeared now which i'm kind of i'm one glad about but two disappointed about because it means we're going to get less races than was potentially possible because if you were doing races on a sunday and a wednesday um and then a 10-day break for a flyaway. I mean, you don't have your two-week breaks and you could get more races in. Um, yeah. But um, I'm also glad about it because it means that I'll actually be able to watch them live because I won't but be able like, to watch there's them. There's a two-week gap between Spain and Belgium, weirdly. Yeah. Um, there's a, so there what, there's a week gap between the two Austrias. Yeah, I mean, you can't... A week can't... gap between Austria and Hungary. Yeah. A two-week gap between Hungary and Great Britain. A week gap between Great Britain and... Great Britain um, again. No, we went between Great Britain and Great Britain, and then yeah. another week so you've between got... Great Britain and Spain, and then a two-week gap. Between... So basically, what you've got is you've got two races in one venue, and then a double header with a with a country nearby. Triple yeah. headers are far too difficult. So you've got two races in in Austria, and then pack up, go to Hungary, and then do a race. Then you've got a mm. week off. Then you're back to Silverstone for two races, and then a and then a double header with Spa. Then you got two weeks yeah. until. Um, Sorry, Spain. Belgium. Then you've got two weeks until Spa, and then a week till Italy, and then we go into the next part of the season. So you've got Which a couple no of you got a couple of triple headers, but the triple headers are all uh, 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 with double races. So if they went through that, they had a triple header with double races. I think that would work, and it wouldn't be too stressful for the teams. So I'm I'm all for I that. I just think it's a bit weird. I don't know. I think they've got either. I think I uh, hope to God they just don't just do carbon copy racing. Because that would be boring as hell. Yeah. Just for the sake of having race. What I am looking forward to is that these some of these races are going to be done later in the year than normally they would have done, which means the climatic conditions are going to be a lot different. So I'm looking forward to seeing potentially wet races that wouldn't normally be wet races. Well, currently these would all be dry races in theory. July, well, you, August, September. Well, you, you say that, but it's Europe. It's not the most predictable. Uh, Spa... Um, Spa Frank, sorry, we always say Spa, but it's actually Spa Francorchamps because um, spa. the track is between Spa and Francorchamps. Spa Francorchamps is not a place. Spa. It's uh, it's the, spa. the the Belgian Grand Prix uh, between yeah. Spa and Francorchamps. Um, but when's that normally? It's normally around that time. Okay. It is normally so around that's that normally time. Wet anyway. But. But the Belgian Grand Prix is um, it can up in the mountains and you, it has its own kind of microclimate. And because it's such a long circuit, you can often have half of the track covered in water and the other half bone dry. So mm. it depends. I mean, it's happening at roughly the same time it normally does. It's normally just after the summer break, um, which is beginning of September. So it's in roughly the same the same period it would be. Um, Italy, normally hot. It can sometimes rain there. Um Spain, 
yeah, it's generally it's pushed back later. That's normally in July, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, but it's it's pushing into August now, so it's a couple of weeks later. So we in could, theory, well, that should be drier, warmer. Yeah, well, it's Although getting saying our weather at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's towards the end of the summer. Given how good our weather is at the moment, it could well be a wet race. Austria again, up in the mountains. You never know what's going to happen in Austria with regards to rain. So and and Hungary is can can be quite unpredictable as well. So what is noticeable though is Max Verstappen's track isn't on here yes Zandvoort will not happen this year which is a real shame but I think that's more down to to Holland deciding they don't didn't want to host a race with no fans because all these races have to be behind closed doors why are we traveling around so much surely there could have been enough racetracks within this Austria Hungary and somewhere else do you know what I mean they're all close together instead of going all the way around the whole of Europe and bouncing well, backwards well, and forwards as well a lot. Well, it is, it is a world championship, and it has to be it has to be held um, across three continents, a minimum of three continents. Oh, I get that, but like Europe's could all be held within Austria, Bel- you know, Austria, Belgium, or Germany. Do you know that? But it's, each other. I think it's still it's still not. all in Europe, and this whole kind of freedom of movement in Europe. It's um, it's not it's not difficult to get around. So that way they can do yeah. a high a high um, amount of races very quickly together. So I I think what they've done there for the Europeans, it's great that they've bunched the whole European season together. That's 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 great. Um, and they've managed to squeeze it into a couple of months as well. So, and it will get, it will get us going. We'll get a good way into the season and we'll probably only lose, you know, probably maximum of five races we'll lose, hopefully yeah. less, which is great. Um, it's really, really good work from FOM to, to get that in I think this will um, this will be I, I'm intrigued as to whether next season will be very similar to this um, in the sense of putting all the Europeans together all the Asians the Americans together I hope so um, and I think it makes a lot more sense and I think it will be greener as well and yeah more eco-friendly and more economical it's been spoken uh, about for a while that this is what they need to do um, and I'm glad that they seem to have finally be doing it. They've, they've tried to do it to a degree but now that it's all going to be behind closed doors, these ones, they seem to be able to do it a bit a bit easier. Right, apologies for that jump cut there but the doorbell just went. You probably heard it over the microphone and it's my anniversary present has arrived. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, uh, where were we? Um... Yes, so I think. Presents for each other. Yeah. Well, I got her anniversary present. It was. Um, it was, was that some... in that box when I was around the other day. Uh, yes. Yeah, I got some. Mm. Um, I got her some coasters, some gardening gloves, and uh, and a squirty doofer for the end of the hose, as she calls it. And what she seemingly has got you is a go kart because the box is yeah. massive. Yeah. I just. Uh... So um, right. the only thing I was going to say um, was looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bit of on-pod Googling. So looking at that calendar, the original calendar, races that we currently have lost, which we may get later in the year, um, is Albert Park in Melbourne. That's not scheduled at the moment. Bahrain. Well, that sort of... Bahrain. Yeah, Bahrain's um, definitely later in the year. Bahrain will be happening later in the year. Um, Hanoi, Vietnam, I think that's been confirmed that's not going to happen. Uh, mm, Shanghai, no, Shanghai in China could happen later in the year. Uh, Dutch Grand Prix Zandvoort, that's not going to happen. Monaco, not going to happen. Um, that that calendar, I've just noticed, there's no French Grand Prix. 
Oh yes, they said. No, I, I remember they did say no, they French weren't going to. French has always been elbowed. That's yes, they said. And do you know what? That's that's great because the French Grand Prix is terrible. Toronto's home Grand Prix as well. Yeah, no, I'm glad that's not on there. Um, and then we've got Canada is not on there. I'm not sure that'll be back. They've only got a very I small think window. That will be back. Really? I bet that that would have to be straight after um, Italy. That'd have to be beginning of September, middle of September. Otherwise, they go too dark. Yeah, they only have a very small window that they can operate in. Has so. to be done, I think, by my birthday, 19th of September. Has to be by the middle of September. I'm sure there's something else happening on 19th September this year that's really important. Um, if it turns oh, out. no, no. Nothing important. It's fine. It's just my wedding. Nothing it's important. Fine. I'm not even, yeah, I might not even be there. Yeah. yeah. I'll be at the Canadian Grand Prix. Yeah. <laughs> Will you ever? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's the only ones we've lost. So we've lost about three or four off there at the moment, but some of them may come back. I think that so, will come back. I think Canadian will come back with the American. I hope so, because the Canadian Grand Prix is brilliant, and I really hope I, it is on for, account. I think Australia will be gone. I think what will happen yeah. is Europe, and then they're going to do Americas, I think, next, yeah. which will include Canada. Well, my idea um, of doing um, Australia as the last race of the season, um, and then going straight into, you know, canning preseason testing yeah. because they've um, they won't need they won't need yeah. to test because they've got the same cars, and then going straight into the next race uh, for the next season. Um, that that's kind of been canned because um, Abu Dhabi are kicking up a fuss about the fact that they've paid billions and billions or whatever it is to have the last race of the season um, and they're not prepared to give that up they've delayed their race by a couple of weeks 13th of December they reckon it's probably going to finish which will be Abu Dhabi um, a couple of weeks later than it was originally planned um, but I thought because they did say they could run the championship into January potentially um, that would have that could have happened and they could have done ended in Australia and then it would have only had to put the Albert Park track up once and it wouldn't have annoyed the locals so much but I think that's gone now I don't think that'll happen this year which is a real shame because yeah. Australia's a great race as well but um, even though it's normally quite boring but then by that time who knows what you know next year who's going to be in what cars yeah um, I think that it, how's our prediction system working at the moment are we what is this are we on track are we talking silly season here yeah. So um, I've got saved on. A, I have saved on a note on my phone um, about um, what we have predicted. Um, oh, did you actually save it? Yes, I saved it. Um, so well, I've got my predictions. Anyway, I haven't got yours. Uh, mine: Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, and George Russell. Uh, Red Bull: Max Verstappen, Alex Albon, uh, Ferrari: Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz. Um, anyone listening to this now? Um, this was announced after Carlos Sainz had signed for Ferrari. That wasn't great foresight from me. Uh, McLaren, uh, mm. Ricardo, Norris. Again, that was announced after that was done. Renault, um, Ocon and Bottas, I said. Interesting that I said that, given that there's rumours about B- Bottas going to um, Renault. Um, Aston Martin, Perez and Stroll. Um, AlphaTauri, um, Gasly and Sonoda um, because of the Honda tie-up. Alfa Romeo, Schumacher and Hulkenberg. Interesting again, given that some news at the moment. Um if Haas remain in the competition, I said Kevin Magnussen and um, Pedro Piquet uh, and then Latifi and the highest bidder in the Williams team, which could, <laughs> which could potentially be Dan Tictum. Um, that's the door going again, but I'm going to ignore it this time. Emily can get that one. Um, yeah, so prediction-wise, that's, that's, not, that's not too far out at the moment. But so potentially Mick Schumacher has been tipped with the Alfa Romeo job. Um, which is probably the 
worst kept secret in Formula One history. Um, yeah. But um, Kimi Raikkonen may decide to end his career at the end of the season, and Antonio Giovinazzi is not doing particularly well. Um, so uh, Mick Schumacher could well be in that seat, according to Ralph Which, Schumacher. Yeah, I like that. His uncle. The, the uncle says it. Yeah, but he's not yeah. he's not plugging his own son, David Schumacher, who's in F3 at the moment. Can you imagine he's that? Can you imagine David Schumacher and Mick Schumacher in the Alfa Romeos? The Schumachers. Fighting or having having like a, having like a, um, a dance-off for the Ferrari seat. I mean, yeah. personally, I, I hate it when drivers get into Formula 1 based purely on name. Um, but um, I, I, I haven't seen enough of Mick Schumacher to say whether he's definitely good enough or not. Um, he was in European F3 and doing a pretty mediocre job and then came back from the summer break and all of a sudden started wiping the floor of everyone. Seemed very suspicious. People were like, oh, we need this guy to win the championship. Um, and then he went into F2, and then there was all this talk about, oh, he only needs to finish fourth in F2, and then he'll have enough super license points to be in Formula 1. He came nowhere near finishing fourth in F2. I think he finished like eighth or ninth in the standings. He won one sprint race. Um, he had a lot of bad luck, to be fair to him. There was loads of bad luck, but um, I haven't seen enough mm-hmm. from him to think, do you know what, that's a guy that deserves to be in Formula 1. And I hate it when you have drivers that do okay in F2 and then end up in Formula 1 because they got a big paycheck. People like Rio Harianto, um, and to a degree, Nicholas Latifi, but he actually does look like he's got some talent. So I'm kind of jury's out on Latifi at the moment. We haven't even seen him race yet. So, um, But yeah, so that, that's that's interesting. Um, I mm. think that's that's a pretty much a guarantee that Mick Schumacher will be in that Alfa Romeo in 2021. I can't see that not happening. Talking about Mick Schumacher, I have a Michael Schumacher update. Really? Let's tell you. What? Yeah. Still, still no news. Still no news. Still no news. Fantastic. No, no. The latest news is Philip Math, Philippe Massa discusses Felipe. difficult situation, um, which basically says, uh, "What was the highlight? Hang on, there was a line that was really funny, um, which is um, my relation. Um, I know how he is." I have information. That's all he says. Cool. I think I mean, every he, he doesn't tell you what the information is, but he has information. Cool. So if soon as someone can get hold of matter and find out what that information is, mm. that would be good. I think every week we should do a Michael Schumacher update now and just be like Schumacher update. There's no news. Mm. Um, um, yeah. In all seriousness, no. I I really I really hope he does get back to some kind of quality of life and is able to return to the public the public domain well, i hope he gets out to support his son in some ways yeah i mean we we don't obviously we know he's alive we know he's coherent but we don't know how much of him is actually there i sincerely hope that he is you know stable enough to be able to you know at some point attend a grand prix and watch his son in formula one that would yeah. be an incredible story and i'd love to see that um because you know you'd, you know we joke about it but i, I wouldn't wish ill on him you know he's no, no, probably one of our most hated drivers of all time but that's his driving i didn't like it's nothing to do with the human being the human being michael schumacher i have incredible respect for so i just hope yeah. he pulls for obviously hashtag keep fighting michael yeah i agree uh, but it, you know that would be amazing for him to see his son yeah racing in f1 
but back to current motorsport and silly season. Um, Valtteri Bottas allegedly allegedly considering Red Bull as an option beyond 2021. The Finn, like the majority of the grid, doesn't have a contract after this season with Mercedes, with Mercedes stalling talks until the season begins. Bottas needs to keep his options open before it's too late. Bottas, to be honest, the last couple of Bottas years... Bottas is a great wanderer. Yeah, every, every, every year he's his just kind of holding... so tight. Yeah, he's just kind of holding on to this Mercedes drive and then just waiting for them to confirm him. And like Raikkonen kept being confirmed to Ferrari, he just keeps being confirmed to Mercedes. At some point, he's not going to be. He only ever gets a one-year extension. I can't see... They, they don't have confidence in him as... You know, if, if Lewis left the team, they would look to sign someone to replace Lewis and just, you know... Um, just yeah, still have Bottas, Bottas as a number two. The only one of them as a number two. So if I were him, if the option to go to Renault was there... I would probably take it. Is this Renault or Red Bull or both? This is um, sorry. This is Red Bottas. Bull. Sorry, this is Red Bull, not Renault. Um, why do? Well, but hang on. I don't think. Why they, they, we had this discussion? Yeah, I said about Re- Renault. He is linked with Renault. They are considering but him as why an would option. Red Bull take him on when again they've got so many people that are up and running in their driver thing, and they've got the Dora Rossos. Yeah, or, or whatever the fuck they're called. Um, I just don't understand why Bottas would go to Red Bull and why Red Bull would even look to Bottas. If they're not entirely certain that Alex Albon is the real deal, they might be looking at someone in to replace Alex Albon as someone who can win races when Max Verstappen can't. Um, but they've got a whole bloody youth academy. They've got the whole Toro Rosa. No, I just don't. I they... think it would be very strange for Bottas. I can see Bottas going to Renault, right? I, I yeah. said that. Yeah. I think back. as well, um, if Renault were sticking around, Bottas would be a very attractive proposition for them, I would say. But these, you know, the Alonso rumours can't, you know, just don't seem to stop. Um, and Renault have admitted he is one of their options. Um, yeah. And I did hear a rumour that um, <laughs> Formula <laughs> 1 management... Formula One management, uh, formerly Liberty Media, were willing to stump up some cash to pay Alonso's wages to bring him back to Formula One if Renault oh, couldn't afford them. Yeah. Which I think is just scandalous, that was to last be honest. Rumor, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but it, if it brings audience members. Brings Wake Spanish, up, Carl! And if it brings the Spanish over. Yes, Alonso, I don't really want to talk about him. Mm. Um, but if it brings the Spanish audience back in. You say that, that though, but they've just got Carlos Sainz who's signing for Ferrari for 2021. Yeah, but it'd be like bringing Michael Schumacher back for uh, for Germans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, don't like, get me wrong. Alonso is up there as one of the best ever in Formula yeah, One, and he precisely. does still have it. He he's still got that X factor. He's still got that talent. I don't think he's been out of Formula One long enough to it'd be like Hamilton leaving for five years and coming back for. But he's only been out um, for two years. He's only it was only 2019. Yeah. He's missed out. And he's still been racing. It's not like we've been Esteban Ocon that's not been involved in any form of motorsport for 18 months now because he was sat out for a year and then obviously the start of this season has been curtailed. So he's done no motorsport because he wasn't even in another formula because he was supposed to be going into Renault. But then um, Cyril Abidbal pulled out of the deal last minute. So they couldn't get him into the Renault. So he ended up just sitting on the sidelines for a year because they couldn't get him anywhere else. So I can't see... I can't see the benefit, to be honest. But, mm. um, yeah, so 
So that that Bottas rumor is a possibility. I think they will bring George Russell in. They could potentially bring Ocon back from Renault. Now I know he has signed for Renault, but um, Ocon, I mean, for two years, so he's guaranteed in that car for 2021. But I don't know if it's a loan deal or he's got. You know, I don't know if Mercedes have an option on him to bring him back. Um, I think they have actually released him to Renault, but um, they might still Mm -hmm. keep close ties with him and want to bring him back at some point yeah. it's a possibility um, so yeah driver wise we haven't even started the season yet and it's already looking looking quite good I mean Red Bull are saying that they don't want to announce their drivers too early and they can't understand why Mercedes sorry not Mercedes why why McLaren and Ferrari have already announced their driver lineup when we haven't even started this season yet if Ricardo has a mediocre season in Renault are McLaren going to regret signing him so you know he's only had one season in Renault, and he didn't exactly set the world alight. I mean, so. I wonder what the um, I wonder what the paycheck is for McLaren as well. Well, Probably. I think it's going to be. A, it's not going to be as high as the Renault. No, it's going to be a fraction too. of what he was on in Renault, because just the world's a different place now. You're not going to see the, those big contracts anymore um, with with the way things are. I think Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc pulled an absolute blinder signing their contract when they did, because shortly after they signed their contracts, the world changed. Yeah, and they're locked into those long-term deals now. Charles Leclerc's got a five-year deal. Max was tapping a four-year deal, and they're going to be on big bucks. Yeah, but Hamilton will also be on big bucks, I reckon. Yeah, I mean it's rumored he was on forty million a year, which is just mental. Um, and um, I heard that Toto Wolff's deal was based on um, championships. And that if they continued to win multiple championships, then he would get bigger increments each year. So he is now an incredibly wealthy man. I think his increments also will be in company shares. He does own a a, a part of Mercedes. Well, yeah. uh, he, he always does. A Aston Martin now, as well. Yeah, isn't he? yeah, exactly. I think some of his winnings he's he's ploughed into Aston Martin. Um, but again, that's only um, that's not the team. That's the company. That's not the F1 team he's put the money into, yeah. so I think a lot's being made out of that that may not. Oh necessarily... no, no, sorry, but I'm saying that there's he he puts money into shares and he's getting share wins, yeah, share bonuses as opposed to. Yeah. I mean, he's just a he's just like many CEOs, you know, that get bonuses at the end and and not in salaries, and it comes in different ways. Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, silly season started and yeah. we'll continue rolling on. Um, it's a very F one week this week. It's just really yeah, it's well. No, to be fair, we've covered. I mean, we haven't covered it a lot, but we've mentioned F two and F three. We're not covering Indy for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. But no one um, knows what's happening with NASCAR. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want this to be a NASCAR uh, a NASCAR um, podcast because um, I'd rather cover professional motorsport and top line <laughs> motorsport, uh, and NASCAR isn't, in my opinion. Um, Is but, NASCAR not professional? Yeah, it is, but I don't really. Care. I mean, yeah, um, I'm probably um, being a little bit unfair to our, our American colleagues and I need there, but to look at motorbikes a bit more. But I don't yeah. think I'm even started yet. So I don't have an interest in motorbike racing, so no, um, if you want to look into motorbikes and you can you can look after the motorbike motorbike side of this podcast, you are yeah. more than welcome. Um, should we do top fives then? Top fives, yes, cool. Okay, so this week's top fives are top five innovations. In Formula One, should we do our big announcement before we do that? I'm just thinking that some people might not go be on. interested in what we're yeah, saying. No one to top fives, yeah. yeah, so they might just skip past the five. So no, before we go into top fives, next don't, week. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Stay, stay, what? stay. 
today. What? Well, our listeners to stay. Okay. Stay yes. <laughs> so um, we've um, we have a special guest on our podcast. I say next week is actually tomorrow. We're recording. Hopefully, getting it up by by Friday. Do you want to say it or shall I? You say it. You you're the one I'll that organised okay. all this. So we have on our podcast our little podcast, which is seven episodes old or will be seven episodes old when we when we do it. We have. IndyCar driver Stefan Wilson on the podcast, British uh, Sheffield boy. He's uh, moved over to uh, moved over to America back in the early 2000s. Followed his uh, his brother Justin Wilson over there. Has raced in Indy Lights and IndyCar for a few seasons. Um, he raced in the Indy 500 in 2018 and led, and could have potentially have won, but just ran out of fuel and had to come in right at the end. And uh, he's not a full-time IndyCar driver, but he is still looking for odd, odd rides here and there. So, yeah, Stefan Wilson. Still very exciting. Yeah, incredibly exciting. I um, uh, big thanks uh, if he's listening to to Darren to getting us in contact, and uh, big thanks to Stefan if he's listening for coming on the show as well. So, uh, apologise in ad- apologise in advance for for upsetting you if we do, uh, and thanking you. <laughs> And thanking I'll you for coming on. Yeah. Hang on. Um, let's be honest. It's going to be me that upsets him. Yeah. Quite. Quite. Quite possibly. Knowledge. Yeah. Your 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 lack and your lack of tact as well. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm going to enjoy is actually learning. Uh, yeah. Well, it is an IndyCar. indie preview. That's what I want to look. At. I I know nothing. I've I've been quite honest yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, and. And I'm a casual I'm fan. To know about it. You know, I'm intrigued to know what about IndyCar. I'm intrigued to know about how it all works and how the system works. So. I wanted someone on the yeah. show um, who was who was an expert who could talk about IndyCar. I'd never expected to actually get a driver, which was you know fantastic. I thought potentially we could have got someone involved in the sport, um, but yeah. yeah. So it's going to be a slightly different special to what I was expecting. We are going to be talking to Stefan about his career as well. Um, so given this is coming out on Tuesday and um, and we're we're interviewing him on Wednesday afternoon. Um, this is our time. If if you're listening to this Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning and you've got something that you want us to ask Stefan, um, send it through to us. Um, you can contact us on the website, www.monkeyseatpod.com. Email us at monkeyseatpodcast at gmail.com or all of the socials at monkeyseatpod, one word. Um, get those into us on Wednesday by 3 p.m. I would say um, if there's anything BST. yeah so get those in um, if you want us to ask him anything and then I will see if we can ask him questions um, yeah so that's incredibly exciting so looking forward to that we'll now move on to um, top five so those of you who don't care you can now tune out you've had, had over, five, over an hour of our crap this will be incredibly geeky for Top and Tom here we go quite, quite possibly so um, right do you want to start? Yeah, because mine are all really basic. Okay. And you probably already got them. Um, I'm going to start off with Kurs. Kurs. Okay. Yeah. The obvious one. The kinetic energy uh, recovery kinetic system. Energy recovery system. Uh, 2009. First person to ever win with Kurs was Hamilton. It was. Back in 2009 at the Hungarian Grand Prix. It Kurz wasn't in for the 2010 season, but came back for 2011. Mm. Um, also appeared in the KTM for the World Championship uh, with motorbikes. And What's the KTM? KTM is a racing bike company. It's like BMW, Honda. Oh, okay. KTM, and they're a brand. 
Uh, very, they're, they're orange normally, but they're a racing team as well, KTM racing brand. Um, and was actually in their KTM bike for the World Championship in 2008, I want to say. My brain, so quite early on in the system um, until it got outlawed. Um, and thanks to Williams, and there's a lot of Williamses involved in my top five, but thanks to Williams, it's now in the London Butters. Oh, wow. Um, you, I've tried to relate all my top five to normal, everyday cars and life and not to something that's been banned and never seen the lights of day, which I know Tom's gone for, I reckon. You reckon, do you? Anyway. Well, you've already mentioned some... Yeah, yeah maybe. ...or whatever it's called. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, the Williams is um, London Butters. Um and the go ahead um so it uh, which is interesting because it, there's two different systems which i didn't realize is a flywheel system and a um and a battery system yeah there was two different versions that were that were brought in for 2009 williams had a flywheel system and mclaren had a, a battery system and mclaren really stole the march on the other teams they were they were the only team that got it together i mean the 2009 car was a bit of a dog because they they put all their energy into their 2008 championship season uh and their fight yeah. with ferrari and as a result ferrari and mclaren's seasons were terrible in 2009 because they hadn't developed for the new aero regs but they absolutely nailed the curse. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I remember when they brought it in, it was widely criticised. And Eddie Jordan famously said on the grid, I will tell you now, no car with curse will ever be on pole position. And then like three... Normally Eddie Jordan's pretty good. No, no, he's not. He talks... He, he Basically, he spouts so much, so much shit, some of it sticks sometimes. You know, you throw enough, yeah. you throw enough feces at a wall, some of it's going to stick. Uh, and that's what he does. Um, I remember Toto Wolf once referred to him as the village idiot, which just really rung true. I re- I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, that's a good shout on that one. The the curse was basically the blueprint for what we see in Formula One now. Which I thought was more. I thought it was going to be. I, I like. I was researching for curse system. I thought it was going to be more like the hybrid system that I've got in the car. No. No, it's literally it's it was literally an energy recovery system. That's all it was. It was the beginning of the um yeah. of of the more efficient engines. That's yeah. how it started, and that's where the idea for the heat energy system and the turbo and and uh, just having these massively efficient engines came from. Um, yeah. So yeah, massively important for the for the past. Um, I'll start with mine. I'll start with the oldest with the oldest one and finish with the newest one apologies um most of mine are from formula one because that's where my racing history lies um I, to be honest all oh, but one is formula one for me as well yeah well the trouble is all the other all the other series are the innovations would be series wise not team wise mm-hmm. because uh they're most of the other series are spec series um, and not a lot of them are at the forefront of technology like formula one is so i'm going to start off mine in 1978 was my oh, I innovation can beat you with my earliest one? So oh really? Oh excellent. Yeah. So my oldest one is 1978. It was um, a uh, a little device um, coined by Gordon Murray and David Cox. It's a bit of a bit of a, um, a an argument over over whose idea it was. But uh, Gordon Murray was in charge of the uh, the technical design of the car, and David Cox was um, was coined with actually coming up with this idea but it's the famous 1978 bt46 brabham fan car oh that's that big fan on the back yes of that car, yeah which then got banned instantly 
Yeah, so they, this they were working. what I found with all these innovations. They get yeah. banned instantly. Yeah, but there's a bit of a reason why it was banned. They were working on ways to increase the downforce as they couldn't get near to the Lotus. Um, and it was just, it, the Lotus was just all concrete at times. They just couldn't get the ground effect anywhere near like Lotus could get it. Um, they realised that they could effectively suck a car to the ground, meaning incredible speeds through the corners, which was just not possible at that time. Um, but they did that by putting a fan mounted on the rear of the car. Um, the problem is that was not just a giant meat chopper on the back of a car. Well, yeah, um, but the, the thing is, fans um, and movable aerodynamic devices were banned on cars, um, and um, the only fans you were allowed on the car had to be, and this is where it came from, primarily inverted commas for cooling. That was what it had to be. Any aerodynamic benefit had to be secondary to its prime focus. So they designed it. Uh, so that it would cool the engine with a 51% application. <laughs> so 49% of it was sucking the car to the ground. The other 51% of it was cooling the engine. Uh, and when it went to scrutineering, they said they basically said, "Look, if we find that this that this car um, has any more than any more than half of the uh, of the aerodynamic property benefit, then it will be deemed illegal." And they could not. They could not fault it. Um, they debuted the car in, at the Swedish Grand Prix and there was absolute uproar from all the other teams and it comfortably won the race by a country mile. They were trying to find all kinds of ways of of saying, you know, this this shouldn't be legal, saying it's dangerous, it's chucking stones up and, you know, it could the car could launch if it went over the curbs wrong, all that kind of thing. But everything was, um, they just couldn't, they couldn't get it banned. But Bernie Eccleston, who was in charge of Brabham at the time, was in the middle of trying to take over Formula One he was in the process of like buying the the, the sports, um, and he was worried that the split would destabilize the F1 constructors associations and jeopardize the takeover. So he basically said to Gordon Murray, "Look, we we got to pull the car after one race." Yeah. And understandably, he was livid. But he understands Bernie was looking at the bigger picture of Formula One, um, and had he not been embroiled in that in that process of trying to buy Formula One, then I believe he it probably would have continued for the whole season, which is a real shame because they I think they definitely would have won the championship had they not done that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, the Brabham fan really car. car. That's my earliest one. Uh, right, mine next one. Buttons on steering wheel. Buttons on steering wheel. Okay. Yes. Um, it, it prior to F one, the only button on the steering wheel was um, the horn. Um, <laughs> but um, F1 introduced uh, the first button was the neutral button and the drink button and the push to talk button nowadays a car would have over 24 buttons as well as LCD screens and everything else on a Formula 1 car I mean even my car out there has got 10 or 12 buttons I've got 5 or 6 um, on my Jagger State <laughs> yeah do you know um, I can't work out when the first appearance was and I couldn't find the history it says 1990s, but I'm not sure who was the first one to put any of these systems on the steering wheel. I'll tell you on my next. I'll tell you on my next one. <laughs> yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Um, that's weird. Um, but yeah. So yeah, in uh, that innovation of buttons on steering wheels uh, came from F1, but I haven't got much detail, which is a bit rubbish. So I'll move but into I that. Such a... Go on then. <laughs> so yeah, um, the whole kind of mounting stuff on the steering wheel was coined by John Barnard when he was at Ferrari. Um, he was trying to find... This was to do with the 
gearboxes. Yes, so basically, yes. initially it was paddle shift gearbox, but they they tried all kinds of different methods. Um, my 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 innovation is paddle shift gearbox, but um, what they were trying to do was the Ferrari um, was was originally too wide, and they wanted to make it thinner by moving the gear stick to somewhere else. And they tried all kinds of different different ways of shifting gears, and um, they they went to um, aerospace engineering companies to try and find find ways of changing gear quicker um and and they and and finding ways to minimize the movement of the hand to make this happen and uh in the end um they they realized that they could just completely move the entire gear shifting mechanism to somewhere behind the steering wheel um which is where the paddle shift came from it wasn't because they thought oh that's what we need to do it was to save space that was the original idea behind it, it wasn't mm-hmm. because it was quicker and then when they realised that this could actually make things a hell of a lot quicker, that's when they started mounting stuff on the steering wheel to take take all the gubbins away from the cockpit, make the cars narrower, uh, and make them quicker in a straight line. So that's that's kind of where it came from. And um, it was shortly oh, after yeah. Enzo Ferrari's death in 1988 um, that um, that John Barnard was trying to get trying to get it onto the car, but the management were so against it because it was so unreliable they didn't want it to happen so he basically went into the management team and said with a copy of his contract and he said what does my contract say and they're saying head of technical it's like yes anything that's technical on the car is my department so i'm doing this and you can do what you want with with the contract but i'm you'll be in breach of contract if you say i can't do this so they said okay on your head be it um, and it was uh, was incredibly unreliable in the early in the early stages of testing, um, but they they seemed to get to grips with it. And then they got to the first race of the season, and the management were um, or it got to it debuted at Rio. And I'm not sure if that's the first race of the season, Rio in 1989. I'm not sure if that's the first race of the season or just the first race they used it. But the Ferrari management didn't want them to fill the car up with fuel. They wanted to run half tanks um, because it was going to break down anyway. So they said, no, just just fill it half half full. We'll drive around for a bit, be leaving the race by a country mile, and we'll make up some kind of reason why the car broke down. We'll blame it on the paddle shift. And John Barnard was like, no, nope, it's going to be all right. It's going to finish, and we're going to win the race. And he was right. And Nigel Mansell won the first race with a paddle shift gearbox in 1989 at the Rio Grand Prix. So, my next one then, linking to that, okay, is the sequential semi-automatic gearbox. That's basically Which, what that is. <laughs> basically that is. But I've gone in a different way with it. I went into the Williams and the F14 version of it. Okay. Um, which it's now obviously now in a lot of cards. But again, it's a very similar story. So I don't know whether I'm mixing stories. But yeah, li- li- liability was a problem in the, in the beginning of that season. It was 1990 season, I believe. Uh, the FW14. It might be 1991. Um, and they they were trying to find a way. He was they were trying to find a way for William. Williams was trying to find a way to change the gearbox uh, speed as quick as possible, and um, came up with the semi-automatic um, sequential semi-automatic gearbox. Um, again, yeah, as you said, to to cut down that movement and and in the car and the space. Uh, again, had reliability issues. Um, and they the reason that they went though saying that they went sequential um, gearbox was because 
people, uh, drivers were driving too fast and they had to drop when they dropped down they were just then over revving and ruining the engines yeah. so this was to stop that idea and also apply faster gear changes obviously this is now something that's in a lot of cars and has moved to you know the modern market um but yeah so yeah it's the semi the sequential semi-automatic gearbox by the fw that from the williams side uh, that i found yeah, that was. Um, I'm just looking up some info on it now because um, I didn't know an awful lot about that. But yeah, it's basically it was in response to John Barnard's design because yeah. it was a semi-automatic gearbox. Um, yeah. But uh, it was say in response to that, um, and it was actually a more um, a more advanced system, which was the predecessor to the FW14B, which was Nigel Mansell's all-conquering active suspension Williams, which you know was incredibly famous. Um, so yeah, no, brilliant, good stuff. Yeah. I'm impressed with your knowledge on this car. You're actually impressing <laughs> me on this. Um, I've closed down the note on my phone now of all this. What's my next one? Oh, no. uh, do, 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 do. So the next one, um, because I can't have a top five without mentioning a McLaren, um, is the oh. um, is the McLaren F duct. Great, uh, great innovation. Do you know about the F duct? Hang on, which one? No, I'm thinking which one's the F duct. Oh, is this the the ones in the front? No, maybe no, no, no. Yeah, so, the one that was on the top, the one that was on the top, yeah, that had that brought air in. Yes, that's the one. So basically, so when when you're driving around corners, you need as much downforce as possible to stick to sit the car to the track. So it allows your power delivery to be much higher, um, and the speed around the corners increase. Uh, the F1 regulations at the time make the cars uh, in, in, well. The F1 regulations now are the quickest cars ever, but the cars are actually slower in a straight line compared to the predecessors, and that's because you don't want the car um, you don't want the car sticking to the track in a straight line. Um, we've got DRS to aid that now um, in certain DRS zones where the where the wing elements move up and down to reduce drag and increase increase straight line. But before this came into effect, McLaren coined the the F duct which was where they channeled air through a vent in the front of the chassis, in front of the driver, through the cockpit, um, which they would claim was for cooling to get around that part of the regulation. Uh, but when the driver wanted to reduce drag, they would get their left leg and cover a hole in the chassis, redirecting the air through the monocoque up towards the airbox, through a massive pipe at the back of the airbox um, and into the wing. And then that would then stall the rear wing. Now, I'm not an aerodynamics engineer so I don't fully understand how that works with regards to blowing air at a wing to stall it but um, that's um, it creates a stalling effect similar to when you see planes just falling out of the sky it just makes them remove all drag and lift and then it basically makes the wing you know um, it just basically bypasses it Um, so the reason that made it so ingenious is because it was almost impossible to copy because the, um, the monocoque um, tub that they sit in um, has to be crash tested and you can't just change it you can't just make adjustments to it so when McLaren brought this in other people had to either think of other ways of doing it or they had to completely change their monocoque which is massively expensive um, so they ran this um, very safely and very efficiently but then Ferrari's um, Ferrari's method of getting around this um, they had a hole up by the driver's hand and then the driver would have to take his hand off the steering wheel to cover a hole did you see the interview there's an interview with i can't remember his name now the the chief uh, head of um ferrari at the time 
Probably um, Demelikali at the time, Stefano Demelikali. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe. he was in, I think he was um, in charge there. Then. So, how does your driver steer? Because he's trying to brake with his right hand and yep. trying to cover this hole with his yep. left hand. Yep. How the hell does he steer? And yeah. he's like, he just does. And then, yeah. like, the interviewer's yeah. like, what? So the car drives itself? Yeah. No, but the driver just does it. I don't know how yeah. he does it, but he does. Yeah, that was Alonso. Um, yeah, yeah, so it was. Um, it, how does he do it? Hey, it was. Does. And that that solution was deemed to be far too dangerous to be common practice in Formula One uh, based on a loophole in the regulations. So they decided to ban it. But they took the idea of that um, and created the DRS system, which is much safer. Mm. So, um, yeah. Which is controlled by the steering wheel. Yeah, just a a button on the steering wheel. Oh, look, full (laughs) circle, back to buttons. Um, But talking previously in full circles, you said about the F14B and active suspension. Hey, I almost did active suspension. Um, Obviously, uh, Colin Chapman of Lotus was obviously very pioneering on it. In 1988, Senna had it on his Lotus Honda. Yeah. um, And did exceptionally well on the bumpy tracks, the city tracks of Detroit and Monte Carlo. Um, in It sort of, it did okay, but it didn't do too well on the normal tracks, uh, race tracks. It did very well in city. That was until it was redefined version in 1981 of the FW14B, again, the Williamses, mm. uh, pioneering and speeding away. Um, and again, Active suspension. I've got active suspension on my car. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I remember seeing. I remember seeing a video thing. of that. But it's taken twenty. It's taken thirty years to really. I mean, it's quite. It's like quite a selling point on, on now modern cars of having active suspension. But it's taken thirteen years to get there. Yeah, I remember yeah. See, seeing a video of that of that car. It basically, I think it was. It might have been on the Senna documentary. Actually, I saw that, but it was. Literally, um, just the car sitting in the garage, and there was a there was a, a team manager holding this remote and just testing the systems, and the car was basically moving up, down, left, right, all kinds of different directions, and they were just like it could, it was like a robot. It could just do. You basically programmed mm. in the track exactly what you wanted it to do when, and then it would basically back then the technology was so good. Considering this is the the early nineties. The car Very could early 90s, the car 80s. could have driven itself. It never did. Because they wouldn't wouldn't have been allowed to, but they could have programmed the car to drive itself well, around the track. This is part of it that that Lotus were talking about lasers and GPS to try and guide track cars around the tracks. And you think that now that's exactly what's on the front of my car. Yeah. To drive because I've got an I've got an autopilot system on my car, mm. a pilot setting pilot system on my car, and it will literally drive in lanes, down motorways, automatic speed, and it's all to do with radar. Uh, lasers and GPS it's phenomenal mm. and that was happening 30 years ago yeah it is amazing how slow technology is to get into the real market yeah but it gets um, there eventually it does get there eventually but yeah this was part of Colin Chapman and Lotus I mean phenomenally technically advanced man and it's a shame you know those type of people aren't around in F1 anymore or allowed to be in F1 anymore yeah if that makes sense Go on, your last one. No, my second to last one. Second to last one. So mine is um, go. We're now moving forwards. Um, Oh, actually, I've done it out of order. I should have had this one last because 
that this one was from 2000, my last one was from 2010, this one's from 2009. Um, and it's quite simply the Braun uh, BGP01 car as a whole. I'm not saying, everyone always talks about the Braun. Diffuser. Yeah, yeah, everyone always talks about the Braun exactly. double diffuser. Um, and that car was, had, it was smoke and mirrors because there were three cars that came up with the, with the double diffuser solution, but they weren't the quickest cars. The Braun was the quickest car. It was just, um, it's only because Braun worked it out. Well, to, to be fair, so, um, little, little bit of history to those so who, anyone who's new to, to Formula One and don't, don't know about this, then firstly, uh, where have you been? Uh, and secondly, um, Honda were running their own Formula One team. And they were playing loads and loads of money into it. And they always said that 2009 was going to be their year. The financial crash in 2008 meant that Honda couldn't justify the money they were pouring into Formula 1 anymore. So they pulled out with immediate effect uh, in pre-season. Uh, it was so late in the game that the drivers they had, uh, both very, very talented drivers, Rubens Barrichello and Jensen Button, didn't have a drive because all the drives were taken. Um, so Ross Braun and various other people involved with the team bought the team. Um, and they decided to call it uh, Braun GP Racing. And the car was basically designed and built with the might of Honda. But they no longer had a Honda engine. So they had to basically bolt a Mercedes engine in the back of it. Uh, which was too small. And so they had to put spaces in to, to make the engine fit in the car. So it was a complete compromise. But the car itself was so good they turned up at the second test. Because they didn't make the first test. Everyone just pounding around in their laps and Jensen goes out in the car and does 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 a couple of installation laps and a couple couple of goes at a quick lap pulls in and just goes oh yeah it's yeah it, it feels good but um there's loads of setup issues it, it just doesn't feel right in the corners I think you know we've got all these problems with it and they were just sitting grinning at me saying oh well, Jensen you know you you're second fastest yeah <laughs> it's like what I said yeah you're second fastest yeah, and you're only a tenth off off top. Off top. And like, how much fuel have we got in the car? And said, so, we're running full fuel. I'm like, no. Nah. And then they ended up like changing a few things on the setup. And then they went out and went a second and a half quicker than everyone, still on full fuel. And everyone else was saying, oh, they're doing glory runs with no fuel in the car. They're trying to get some sponsorship because the car had no sponsors on it. And so they just let them believe that. And then they get to the first race in Australia and they just go out and dominate. But it's not, that's the, the car in general had so many little tricks in it. Everyone talked about the double diffuser. And when people asked Ross Braun, um, are you annoyed that everyone's talking about the double diffuser? And he said, no, because it means if they're looking at the double diffuser, they're not looking at everything else on the car. And yeah. there was so much other stuff on that car that was good. Because as I said, Toyota had a double diffuser. They didn't win a race that year. Williams had a double diffuser. Yeah. They didn't want to win a race that year. And it was only because Braun, uh, the Braun team had no money. They couldn't develop because they were, they thought they might have to run the team for a couple of years before a buyout. They didn't spend any of the money they did have. Um, so as a result, they, they didn't develop hardly at all. They only bought minor updates to that car. And so Red Bull had the best car from Silverstone onwards that year. But Braun had built up enough of a gap that they could hold on. So the, the Braun BGP01 car is my number two. Yeah. Just as a whole, the go. 2009 car, because it was so, so good as a whole. Um, no, and it's a beautiful car. It's it is. a beautiful car. Because it's not covered in crap. That's probably why. Um, my one, this is my oldest one, 1953. What's a seat? Not seats? Wheels? Well. <laughs> uh, disc brakes. Ah, oh, okay. 
Disc rates, uh, 1953, Jaguar, Le Mans um, car in 1953 was the first racing car to have disc brakes. Oh, wow. Um, as opposed, still disc brakes, as opposed to drum brakes, which had been previously used before then. Which are on my um, they, they Ironically, though, disc brakes were painted in 1902. <laughs> um, Again, it takes a long time never, to get these through. Yeah. Uh, no, it, but it didn't land on, on race cars until 1953. Um, and also that year, it, they broke the 100 mile an hour average speed lap record for Le Mans as well. So, and that's purely on the brakes, they said. Um, although the car was a good car, they were able to brake later, which meant you could go into corners faster. Um, and I, if you think about it nowadays, like all decent formula one car every race car you know disc brakes are the thing that holds the track things are changing now there's carbon fiber ones compared to the steel back in the day but the principle is still the same and you know disc brakes are on bicycles and motorbikes and everything else um and that started within that 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 really got pushed because of le mans that jaguar le mans um, in 1953 otherwise we'd still all be in disc break world yeah not be disc break world sorry yeah drum, um, drum, drum break, break world. world yeah yeah cool um so there there you go brilliant my geeky section cool right my last one is uh not formula one related yeah i've got two or two yeah and uh and the reason it's uh it's come at the top here is because it's so new it hasn't actually been running a race yet but the reason I've put it in there with top innovations mm. is because it's going to be massive. Because it's the only innovation we've got at the moment. No, it's it's the massive. Uh, it's huge. It will be part of Formula One in future, um, and it's a huge part of driver safety. And I'm so glad that they finally brought it in. And it is the IndyCar Aero Screen designed by Red Bull Technologies. It's Red Bull Advanced Technologies. Can't forget the advanced. Um, designed to risk, uh, reduce the risk of injury from airborne debris striking drivers. Um, it's similar to the Halo, um, which obviously runs in Formula One now, but it's one step up. And looks ugly as hell. Well, the Halo does, but the Aero screen looks pretty yeah, cool. To be that's honest, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. The Halo um, looks ugly as it hell. It basically has a Halo underneath it, and then has just a screen around it. Um, yeah, but it just looks better. Oh, uh, absolutely, it does. Yeah, it's it's got a polycarbonate. It's got a polycarbonate laminated screen uh, supported by a titanium framework. Um, and I've got some, some really good numbers here. I, I, I googled some numbers for this. So when the fitted, the device load bearing capability is expected to be 150 kilonewtons. Now, I had no idea what a kilonewton What's was. That in English, yeah. So basically, uh, 150 kilonewtons is 150,000 kilograms at 1g. Now, obviously, if you're when you're driving so around, 15, 150,000 kilograms. 150 so, tons. Is that how much? Is is a ton of thousand kilograms? I don't actually know. Yeah, tons of thousand. Cool. Kilograms. Yeah, so 150 tons at 1g. Now, what you got to remember is when a car is going around the track, they're pulling four or five g sometimes. So, like some crashes, uh, like a sudden stop, you could pull up to 20g in one crash. But just so 150, uh, 150,000 kilograms. So just to put that into um, equivalent, with with a with a car with the aero screen just sitting on a road with not moving, on top of that car, you could put one and a half blue whales. Hang on, not on the top of the car because the suspension would die, but on top of the 
Windscreen. Yeah, but what I'm saying is the driver would survive yeah. because because yeah. of the weight of it. You could put a single floor unfurnished house on top of this car. You could put two space shuttles, Just 13 and a half ship anchors. I mean, what is that? I mean, what is the ship anchors? Who works in ship anchors? This is this is my favourite. Estimated 20 T-Rexes. <laughs> Estimated. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but additionally, um, the laminated polycarbonate screen will have the capacity to include an anti-reflective coating on the interior of the screen and an anti-fogging heating element and tear-offs. So hang on. So yeah. Okay. So this goes back to what? Well, hang on. This is. I want. I wanted to bring this up, and I kept forgetting to bring this up. We had a podcast, and we were talking about tear-offs and and the aero screen, and I said would this remove the need for visors? Mm-hmm. And you went, no, think about racing cars. They would have visors. Wrong. Rally car drivers don't have visors. Lots of capsule car racers do not have visors. And thus, I think this could, if you've got the tear-offs and you could control it and the aero screen and you had obviously heating and ventilation on it, I think you wouldn't need you would go back to an open visor. My only thing with my only thing I'd say with that. But I just wanted to make that point that okay. rally cars. I had yeah. to think about that. Rally cars and touring cars don't have closed visors. Well, touring cars. So you're saying hands, you're saying that they don't have visors in their like rally drivers no do not cars. have visors. Are you certain of that? I'm ninety five percent certain. Are you sure I they don't just have? Well. Are you sure they don't just have clear visors? I'm pretty sure because i think they have clear visors but anyway um if anyone knows please prove us wrong i say us prove carl wrong um but yeah please get in contact and tell us because i don't know i don't really watch a lot of closed cockpit racing so i'm not entirely certain nascar as well may well be i don't know about nascar may well be open visor. i imagine they will have they will have clear visors because you can no all open visors Looking at Skoda, no, all open visors okay. on Radicar. That surprises yep, 100% me. Open. I thought they would have, they would still have something across it. They, they've got a mouthpiece, but a lot of them are open. Some do have closed, but a lot of them are open. Yeah, 100% open. So when you say open, they're still full face, full face helmets, just with an open. No, mouth. no. I'll send you. Really? A I um. I'll send you. I'll send you. Well, this one's 2016. Oh, I have a I have a file been sent by Carl. Um, I mean, that's just a that's just one that I spotted, but that's what I mean. Oh, so yeah, actually, yeah, you're well, not that's right. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. I mean, if you go down any of those pictures on that, you know. I I do think they will still have they will still have full face helmets in Indy. I think they will still have full face helmets. Just because that's what they used to. Yeah, and also I just think from a safety element, the speed they're doing. Um, what happens if there's if there's a flash fire? Um, they need to have that full face protection and also the visor is fire retardant so that would stop flames getting in the eyes and smoke getting in the eyes if there was a fire I still think I do wonder why rally cars isn't I still think they'll have full face helmets with clear visors that's my that's what I think it is but again that's that's a question we can ask Stefan because he'll know yeah because he'll be he'll be testing it so next week's top five is going to be best five races you have ever watched 
So this is races that you've actually seen in your lifetime that you've seen either on television or in flesh. So um, get your suggestions into us via all the normal, all the normal ways. Yep. So that is that then. Um, tune in for our indie special later in the week. Again, if you've got any questions you want us to ask Stefan Wilson, get them into us by lunchtime tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow being Wednesday, Wednesday the third. Uh, 3 p.m. Wednesday, mm. the 3rd of June, BST. Any questions for Stefan Wilson, current IndyCar driver? Um, anything else you want to get in touch with us? The normal ways, at Monkey Seat Pod on all the socials. Um, also, I want to just send a little send-up to one of our listeners. Um, he's started his own podcast. Oh, yep. Um, which is um, all about NFT. I think it's NFL. It's NFL. Team. Uh, yes. It's NFL. National Football is, League. Um, National uh, American Football League. Um, about um, the team, the LA Chargers. Yep. Um, which he's a mad fan on. Um, so um, look that up. Um, Charged up. I knew bolts. nothing. Charged up bolts, isn't it? Yes. And um, it's, it's worth listening listening to just because Elliot Bermudez Galton has got a voice like a silky smooth pair of pajamas. Um, and then there's two other northerners and a American yeah who also has a who also has a silky smooth voice I have to say I do Um, love his voice although yeah I mean he's as geeky about football as Tom is about F1 yeah so um, it's worth listening to we'll support them hopefully they'll support us back John Ayers Um, that is John Ayers that's his name look him up John Ayers Ayers. he has the voice of an angel I want to go to bed with his voice (laughs) Um, and Elliot Bermudez um, yes Bermudez King was and Ayers yeah uh, four guys talking about American football Uh, we have support them Um, so go and have a listen it's worth I I know nothing about American football I'm learning all the time from them it's worth getting interested in I I had a listen and I know next to nothing about NFL as well and I thoroughly enjoyed it so if you're a fan especially if you're a fan of the Chargers it's definitely worth a listen Um, and it gives you a gives you a an insight insight from um, from the kind of the English side of things as well because obviously NFL very American sport for obvious reasons so it gives you really good insight from the from the English standpoint because we have our own views about things um, sometimes they're complete rubbish and sometimes they're they're pretty well informed uh, probably yeah. slightly less passionate than the Americans so you get a very very you know the equivalent yeah. of someone who likes to cue that kind of yes. uh, that kind of opinion <laughs> who, who has bad teeth and yeah. drinks a lot of tea um, so yep that's what it for this week us? yeah right that's anyway. it for this week uh, tune in for our indie special this week and next week back to normal Tuesdays uh, Tuesday evening hopefully back up so um Enjoy, enjoy IndyCar at the weekend and we'll actually be yeah. talking about some racing next week which is I'm really looking forward to that so uh, that'd be exciting see you all next week right. speak to you bye, bye.